At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Economic news is something that's easy to come by, but figuring out how that economic news impacts us uh, individually and, of course, what the trends mean for our country is something that um, I think is more difficult to understand. And that's why I really appreciate the approach of our next guest, Jerry Boyer. He's host of the podcast Meeting of Minds, author of The Maker versus the Takers, What Jesus Really Said About Social Justice and Economics. And he's also an editor at Town Hall Finance. Jerry, welcome back. Hey, Kathy, great to be with you. Do you find that often that people want to understand what's going on with their money? But when it comes to like the overall trends uh, in America or internationally speaking, people's eyes kind of glaze over. Yeah. Or when they talk about overall trends, they kind of go into a different mode, like talking about politics or mm, talking yeah. about sports rivalries. Uh, they sort of get into <laughs> unreality mode yeah. uh, so that everyone has, a, has an opinion, but it doesn't really matter what it is because we're just kind of on a bar stool talking. Uh, and then when they start thinking about their own money, then they kind of get serious. Um, and, you know, some of the great economists uh, of the past um, have you know, kind of made the point that if you want to understand what someone's economics are, um, you have to not say what do they say about economics, but see how they act. So someone might, for instance, decry the profit motive. Uh, they might write books about socialism, but do they give those books away for free? Mm. Well, if they don't, then they're showing by their behavior that they actually do believe in the profit motive. I remember a long time ago, back when I was a radio host, I interviewed somebody, someone who was a woman of the left, uh, and she had written a book about economic royalism, about how corporations and businesses, they're like royalty and they rule over the rest of us. And I started to ask a few questions. It wasn't highly confrontational. Um, and she got really upset. And on the break, you know, I picked up the phone and she said, I'm hanging up. I'm not doing this interview. None of your people are going to buy my book anyway. Uh, so it's like, well, mm. wait a minute. What do you care? <laughs> Whether they're going to buy the book. Right. You, I mean, you know, you're 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 a socialist. You don't believe in the profit motive, but of course she did. Interestingly enough, later on that day, her husband called the uh, general manager of the station to complain um, that his wife was mistreated. So I thought, oh, well, capitalism and the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> when it really counts, hey. Um, okay, but let me interrupt you for one second. Questions. Let me interrupt you so, for yeah. one second, Jared, because it does seem that in our current culture, people are rewarded or punished more for what they say than what they do. Right. So when you're talking about economics, as opposed to being an economic actor, you're in that game of the social status hierarchy. What am I? What tribe am I in? What will I say that will get me in trouble or what will I say that will boost me? and get somebody else in trouble, this is something, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a status hierarchy. And so economic talk 
really becomes status hierarchy talk, not really economic talk, which is why I think, by the way, you find so many people who are wealthy speaking to the left, because in some sense, they won the economic game. And if they talk as though um, capitalism is good and their results are good and they deserve it, that subjects them to envy. So by living right and talking left, they kind of repel the envy a little bit. Hmm. Um, and I remember once a rabbi called my show and he said, oh, well, my people, you know, they're very wealthy and they're very um, you know, members of my synagogue. Uh, they make a lot of money and um, and they're highly successful and they're professional, but they're liberals. And he was making that an item of kind of bragging. See, they don't, you know, they don't talk their interest. And I and, you know, they they vote for higher taxes. I said, well, yes, but do any of them voluntarily give higher taxes. Because you can do that. The IRS anytime you want. A, anytime you want, you can overpay and they'll accept it. You can make a donation. So really what they're doing is they're pursuing two goals. At this, They're pursuing profit maximization and they're pursuing social status maximization by talking left. So Frederick Bastiat, um, the famous economist, um, said that if you really want to know, if you really want to understand economics, just look at what people do and ignore what they say. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about then uh, what people are doing and um, how that relates to the Fed meeting that happened yesterday. Well, what they're doing is they haven't gone into a recession yet. Um, and so, uh, you know, no matter how people talk about the economy and people have talked about the economy as if it's doing very, very badly, especially conservatives. I'm a conservative. We have a vested interest in saying the economy is doing very, very badly because our guy isn't president. Right. Um, right. But the fact is that they are still buying and selling and they're acting um, as though the economy is doing fine and people are waiting to go back to work and they're staying out of the job market. So for all of the apocalyptic language and, and um, you know, rhetoric in the country. And by the way, it's not just conservatives. Everyone's talking apocalyptically. They're living normally. And if they're living normally, then that means they really believe within, when it really counts that things are pretty normal. Now, I'm not saying there won't be a recession. All I'm saying is we found out today uh, that we weren't in a recession yet in the second quarter. Uh, so as of the end of June, no recession. Um, I, I think we probably will have a kind of a shallow recession. People are buying stocks. Uh, they don't do that when they think the economy is going to do badly. Uh, they're buying tech stocks and growth stocks. So people are acting as though the economy is rolling along. Uh, and, and in terms of buying inflation hedges, they're still buying them. So there's still an elevated risk of inflation. Uh, but what um, are inflation you know, hedges, Jerry? Uh, gold, okay. which is up a fair amount this this year. Uh, Bitcoin. But the classic inflation hedge is something called a, a treasury inflation protected um, security. It's basically there's a kind of treasury you can buy. That protects you against inflation. When if you let's say you buy a ten thousand dollar bond uh, and you hold it, it's a five year bond. At the end, they don't just give you ten thousand dollars back; they give you ten thousand dollars plus more to account for the inflation. So that's mm. the classic inflation. Okay. Inflation hedge. So I I don't make a lot of economic predictions myself. I kind of just look at what people are doing, and there I think people are acting as though markets and behavior is acting as though. The economy is pretty normal, um, decent chance of a shallow recession. Inflation is 
somewhat elevated, but a lot less elevated than before. These tips, these inflation hedges have gone down a fair amount uh, in the past several months. So people are less worried about inflation than they were before. Now, back two and a half, three years ago, people were buying those. So that made me afraid of inflation. Apart from my own guesses about the future, I was worried about inflation because I saw people buying inflation hedges. Mm -hmm. Now I've seen people selling inflation hedges. So again, there's a political conversation. It's the end of the world. Everything's terrible. And then there's how people actually act. So what does that mean for the average person who's trying to figure out what to do with their, you know, uh, the 10 percent maybe of their income that they're saving? Um, What can that kind of what 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 decisions would that cause the average person to make um, who's just, you know, working with a relatively small amount of cash? I would hope it wouldn't cause them to make any decisions differently at all. Um, that's just yapping. You know, th- we, we, have, we have a society in which there's constant yapping, constant a buzz of discussion. Everyone's got an opinion. Uh, there used to be the three cable networks, then there were more, then there were, excuse me, the, the broadcast networks, then the cable, along comes talk radio, then along comes uh, social media, and everyone on Twitter is a microblogger. We are just constantly marinating in cheap talk. Um, and it's, I basically, I think you should ignore it. I know we're doing it now. I hope it's not cheap, but we're part of the yaposphere yap- sure, right now. Right. And what I'm trying to say is, as somebody, okay, so I, ju- I just turned 60. My first radio, I think, was there, um, you know, mm-hmm. early 20s. So let's make the math easy. It's 40 years that I've been doing TV and radio and then blogging and all the rest of it. And what I'm saying is people take it too seriously. They get too emotionally wound up about it. And I think that what you can reasonably hope for is once in a while to come across some some real insights, but understand that most of that system, most of the time, is just trying to grab your attention. So I've talked to so many financial advisors who are approached by clients because they see something about the blood moons, right. or they hear something on Glenn Beck, or they saw something on Tucker, or now it's not Tucker anymore, and they come in with the big thing. Right. And they want to completely redo their portfolio and they want to sell it all and buy gold. I remember having a conversation with someone, I can't say more, just a wealthy individual around the blood moon time, wanted to sell it all and buy buy land because of the blood moon prophecies, because that was all over Christian media and especially Christian TV, less so radio. You guys weren't doing blood moon stuff. Salem wasn't, but a lot of Christian TV broadcasting was. Um, and this, this is, I was brought in to talk this poor soul off the cliff uh, because he was going to make decisions based on the yaposphere. So I think basically w- when someone's tuned in here, expect John and Kathy to be calm, to not exploit you, and to try to get to the truth to the best of their ability and stay away from the shriek machine um, that is elsewhere. And for Pete's sake, do not be letting the talk about the economy change your investment strategy. If you've got an investment professional, follow the plan. Because almost every investment methodology, you can be a value investor, you can be a momentum investor, you can be a, you know, what's called a passive investor, you just buy more of whatever is the highest value now. All of those strategies beat the frenetic strategy changing. Mm -hmm. Most Mm -hmm. do-it-yourself investors change strategies which means that after something has gone up a lot, they're very excited about it and they buy it. So they're actually buying things when they're expensive. 
And then they go down a lot and they feel bad about it and they sell it. So they're selling things when they're inexpensive. So they're, they're, see, they're, see, they're contrary. They're going against value discipline. So find a basic reasonable plan. Anything that's in any of the, if there's, if there's a book of dummies guide for investing is going to be four or five chapters. Any one of those chapters, if one of them sounds right to you, follow that if you're doing it yourself and then just follow it. Don't mm. change up based on the yap. Um, so you know, what do I think is going on with the economy? I told you what I think is going on with the economy. I could be wrong, but I would not expect or urge anybody to make any significant or major changes to their investment or financial plans based on what I just said. Uh, at Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail, the ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like, super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Jer, as you were talking, this question came into my head, and I'm sure over the years we've probably discussed it um, maybe once or twice, but still, you know, for all the people publicly who have uh, spouted different theories about uh, end times, whether it's, you know, an economic collapse or it's, you know, coming persecution of Christians or whatever, um, or, you know, someone like Harold Camping who had a date that the world was going to end or the blood moon thing or whatever it is, most of those people who spout those types of ideas are usually Christians or have some connection with the Christian church. So why do you think that is? Yeah, well, if they're talking about that kind of apocalypticism, yeah, that would tend to be Christians, right? Because that's Christian apocalypticism, right? Blood moons and the rest of it. I mean, the the secular folks have their own, you know, Gaia's angry and she's going to burn you up uh, because you drive a car. Uh, so there is a generally apocalyptic mood uh, I think in our culture, that's true. But that's a there's, a, there's a certain kind that we're susceptible to, you know, overpopulation. I mean, you go back to the 1970s and mm-hmm. the predictions that the Earth will be white hot right. with the body of the overpopulation, you know, and we've gone from four billion people to you know eight billion plus, heading towards ten billion, uh, and we are more prosperous than we've ever been before. We don't have mass starvation. We have a global obesity crisis. Um, just to be clear, I mean, that the, the major health crisis in the world now is from excess, not mm-hmm. from the mass starvation that we were told was going to come from the Club of Rome talked about this. And it all goes back to Thomas Malthus. 
um, the Reverend Thomas Malthus, who read that who read in Genesis that cursed is the ground because of you, and from it you will eat of the sweat of your brow, and will bring forth th- bring forth thorns and thistles. So he saw the curse and didn't kind of read a few verses later that the Messiah is going to crush the head of the serpent. So he's got creation and fall and curse, but not redemption. Um, I think that something happened with evangelicals in particular happened about a hundred years ago with a shift to a new view of prophecy, which had been almost unknown before, um, practically unknown in church history. Uh, and it really accelerated after Israel became a state in mm-hmm. 1940. Sure. And then it super accelerated in the 1970s with the rise of the Arab states and the rise of the, um, you, 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 you became the European Union later, um, which had 10 members. And see, that's the 10 heads of Revelation. Of course, mm-hmm. now it has 30 members. So I don't know. How do we deal with that? Right. We, that it keeps shifting around. You know, you, this is a really rare view in the history of the church. It's there a little bit in Tertullian, you know, among the church fathers, but the reformers didn't view it this way. Um, the, Roman, the Roman Catholics didn't view it this way. The Eastern Orthodox didn't. And it basically came to the view a couple of things. One, we will lose until Jesus comes back. We will lose. Um, so things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And all the terrible things that we read about, say in Matthew 24, mm-hmm. are coming. Um, now, the people who founded this country, Pilgrims and Puritans, had a view that we're going to win. That's why they took the chance of coming here, that the gospel is more powerful, um, that the uh, gates of hell will not prevail against his church, that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth the way the waters cover the sea. Um, so there was a shift away from that optimistic eschatology towards a pessimistic one. Then I think it has to do with newspapers and then later broadcasting. We're going to lose and we're going to lose soon. Um, because Israel became a state in 1948 and Jesus said, this generation will not pass away Mm -hmm. and all these things be fulfilled. And somehow they think this generation meant that generation, 1948, rather than this generation that he was talking to, you know, because normally one would think if he's looking around and he's pointing at the temple and saying that temple's going to be torn down, this generation will not pass away, that he's talking about this generation. And that's how almost all the church fathers read it, that he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, not the end of the world for most of that passage. But somehow we got it into this generation, so a generation's 40 years, so 1988, and that didn't happen. Well, maybe generations are different now. Maybe they're 60 years. Or someone said, well, you know, Noah lived to 100, so a generation's 100 years. But at some point, I think we're going to run out of the ability to stretch the definition of generation and maybe throw out that whole system. So because a very popular school of prophecy popularized by the Left Behind books and the Left Behind movies uh, with Kirk Cameron. By the way, Kirk tells me I've left behind, left behind. He doesn't Okay, that really? All right. But, but t- tens and t- a million. Hey, sweetie, what do you think of our new car from Carvana? Think it can handle our busy family? Well, we have seven days to see. First, we can take the scenic route to the beach and stargaze through the moon roof. We'll see if your drums fit in the trunk. Then we can pick up mommy's friends and check out that leg room. And we should really visit grandma. She's getting up there. That's like... A whole lifetime in seven days. And like one busy family. With our seven-day money-back guarantee, you can confidently shop for cars 100% online. Visit Carvana.com for all terms and conditions. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. No kidding. Uh, Evangelicals haven't left it behind. So we lived in this constant expectation that the second coming is about to occur. And every bit of news coming out of the Middle East 
is immediately put into that grid uh, or every cultural decline is immediately put into that grid. And so we expect the end. We expect apocalyptic. We expect a soon antichrist. Uh, and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to matter how often we predict it's about to happen. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. We, right. And it doesn't. And no one ever stops and says, wait a minute, maybe the framework is wrong. You know, if somebody if somebody if you go to a doctor and they give you a test and the test says, oh, you're going to die of cancer next year and you don't. And then they give you a test. and Oh, you're going to die of cancer next year. And, and you don't. And that keeps going on for like 40 years. It's been happening since the 1970s. <laughs> um, maybe at some point you say, uh, maybe the te- maybe the test is not right. <laughs> you know, maybe you're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe we've got another 100 years. Maybe we've got another thousand years. Maybe we've got another 10,000 years. Um, but so much of an industry has been built up around eschatological or prophetic hype, and it's just drummed into our heads that I think we're pretty susceptible to these scares, which then don't pan out. Well, you make a good point, Jerry, in saying that there is a- apocalyptic tendencies on both sides. So it's not just in Christianity. I guess I'm so attuned to it because it's my tribe, and I think, really? Like, you know, it's just embarrassing. But when you think about, you know, the Greta Thurberg and we think about, you know, the whole, you know, the guys who go around uh, college campus to college campus and say, if you really care about the earth or care about people, you won't have children. You know, I mean, that same thing. So it, I, I guess the extremists are on both ends. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got global warming suicides. We have people literally committing suicide over global warming. Um, I mean, that's ideological child abuse. A lot of mental health crisis for teenagers and people in their early 20s is there because people are whipping up fear mm-hmm. about the end of the world. Now, I know it's probably not the best day of the year for me to be right, you know, right. praying that down, um, but uh, you know, I'm, st- I'm going to do it anyway um, because, it again, you know, the inconvenient truth had us underwater, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. Uh, and and yet it hasn't. Let's go back to what do people do versus what do they say? Why are they not abandoning their Malibu homes? Um, Jerry, talk about uh, the people who are buying houses in Malibu. What does that make you think of? Well, it makes me think they don't really believe that the that the uh, sea level is going to rise soon. Uh, they would be moving. <laughs> They'd be picking up and moving. Um, and insurance companies would be reflecting that risk. Uh, of the risk of the inevitable, you know, rising of the sea level, um, which we haven't seen. I mean, you can go to Plymouth Rock and guess where the water is? Plymouth Rock's at the same water level it's been. Um, even, I, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't global warming. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to pin down this data. But of course, when ice melts, if you put ice in a um, bucket of water and the ice melts, the water level doesn't rise. Because um, when ice melts, some of it's sticking up, but ice also expands when it freezes. So the water level stays the same. So there are various feedback mechanisms. Um, So, you know, but if they really believe that the water level is about to rise precipitously, they would make major life changes. One, One practical thing for me is I'm dealing a lot in the area of corporations and proxy voting and ESG. I talk to companies a lot. Um, you know, to their investor relations departments, et cetera, uh, to the proxy services. And I keep saying, 
well, wait a minute. If you really believe that global warming is this huge systemic risk, you would not be throwing out fossil fuel companies. I mean, a lot of them are landlocked. You wouldn't be divesting yourself from Oklahoma. Um, you'd be, you would, you, I mean, these oil companies are making profit selling oil and then somebody else has the cost. Who, who's the somebody else? Somebody who lives near a beach. So if you really believe that this was an imminent threat, you wouldn't be divesting from fossil fuel companies. Mm. You would be divesting from real estate in Portland, Seattle, Manhattan, and Boston. Um, but you're not. You're not making the, that decision. That's where you say that the economic effect will be. So that's where the risk is. So really, what, what's really going on is they want to attack energy companies. Um, if, if their thesis is right, energy companies are, it's really good for them. They get to sell oil and make a profit and the global warming, which it allegedly causes is somebody else's problem. Hmm. Well, then they ought to be divesting to somebody else, not the oil companies, but they don't really believe it. They're engaged with, you know, moral signaling, virtue signaling. Um, and I think it's the same with, you know, people who live on the coast, the Portland, the Seattle, the Manhattan and Boston folks, they talk a lot about these things, but they don't behave as if their cities are about to be underwater. Right. Yeah, and I wonder if it's one of those things that you're saying what you feel like you have to say because the culture has deemed that that's the educated approach, that's the pro-science approach. Yes, I think that's exactly what it is. So in terms of a Christian anthropology, a Christian view of human nature, um, and I want to turn to Jesus on this one. He talks about hypocrites, hypocrites, but hypocrites doesn't, we have a word hypocrite is, oh, you act the opposite of what you, of what you say. Well, that's not exactly what, what, what the word means. The word means a mask wearer. It refers to actors. It's literally someone under critics. An actor is under the critics. Hupo, hypodermic needle, under. Crites, critic, you get it. I mean, you can hear, you know, the mm -hmm. echoes. So we all are in a giant play, is what Jesus seems to be saying. And in this play, we're all actors, and we put on a mask, and we say the things that will make us seem good. And we say the things, you know, the darker side of this is that will make other people bad, because status is a, a zero-sum game. I, ha I have to get mine at the expense of somebody. <laughs> if I'm going to be up at the top, if I'm cool, somebody else has to not be, right? Right. Um, it's just so like seventh grade. Precisely, you know, and uh, so there's got to be scapegoats. There's got to be someone at the bottom in order for someone to be at the top. Yeah, I mean, human human nature doesn't change from seventh grade, doesn't change from then to adult life. It's just the stakes get higher. So once you take Jesus's analogy seriously, we're in this play and we're playing a part. Now, at some point, you go home, you take off the mask, and then you then you kind of reveal who you really are by the real decisions that you make. Um, and so you look at what people are really doing, not what they're masking, not what they're fronting. Um, and that applies to left and that applies to right. That's everybody. That is not a liberal thing. That's not a conservative yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. That's a human, that's a person thing. And so when we see our, I mean, I see myself do that all the time. 
Uh, and every time I see it, I think, no, 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 no. Like there has to be a more transparent way to live than just saying what I feel like needs to be said. But it's it's such a it's such a cultural pressure right now. I don't know if it's be, probably because we have such access to technology and access to social media. And there are so many opinions that are just hovering all over us. You think why do you think that's why there's 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 a, a, more of a tendency to that? I think that what's happened now is the show is now a global show. So for a long time, there are all these local shows, you know, you and your school, right? Or you and your town when you become a grown up or you and your neighborhood, right? So you've got this competition for status. That's essentially a local competition. Now I can read your Twitter feed. You can read my Twitter feed. You can see me on Facebook. I can say, let's forget about the fact that you're also a talk show host. Um, and that I'm somebody who's in media once in a while. We're a little bit public. Doesn't matter. That distinction is not really a hard distinction anymore. Everybody's a talk show host, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right? Um, and so anybody who's FaceTiming, anyone who's TikToking, anyone can see it all around the world. So there's now one gigantic screen hovering over planet Earth, and there's billions and billions of little shows that anyone can zoom in on at any time, and you can go viral. If you do the right thing, meaning usually do the wrong thing, but you do something that's freakish or hits the right nerve. So there's the possibility of being really important. There's also the possibility of doing something really foolish and having your life ruined. So now there's global, global might overstate it, English speaking world, let's say. There's English speaking world possibilities and implications to everything we're doing. So that kind of, it kind of turns up the stakes in some ways. In other words, in other ways, it turns it down because now it's divided over so many people. You know, but you can only pay attention to so many voices. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, you're the pope, you're the president. uh, I mean, you're super, you're, um, you know, some kind of super, uh, uh, you're Taylor Swift, whatever. Um, There's a few people who get almost all the attention and everybody else is just sort of riding in their wake. Um, And I think if Jesus kind of foresaw this when he gave us the analogy of play actors that were in that play and that people are not what they present themselves as being. Hmm. And he didn't say some of you are not what you portray yourselves as being. This is a human universal. He's the only, he yeah. wasn't, he was really in some sense, the only maskless person. Um, and I see Lewis comes along and says, what we need to do is put on the mask of Jesus, not the mask of what we think people want to see, but the mask of Jesus. And he said, over time, our faces will actually take on Mm -hmm. the shape of Jesus's face. But we have to be imitating Christ, not imitating anybody else. Now, there might be people in your life who are kind of like Christ. So you might say, what would so, you know, my dad was a really good man, or my mom was a really good woman. They're Christ-like. So what would they do in this situation? So I'm not saying you really literally only imitate Christ because, you know, there are other good people in your life, not as good as Christ. He's perfect and they're, you know, somewhat like him, but imitating the good and essentially ignoring the rest. The problem is good is boring in a world of titillating evil. So true. Um, And so so it's really hard to overcome the boredom uh, of goodness now, goodness isn't really boring. As you get deeper into it in wisdom, it's thrilling beyond belief. I mean, the, the difference between the, the, the you know, the, the excitement of, of, of true religion, of Christianity, 
um, and falsehood is the difference between marriage and pornography. True, true faith is like the real thing. But what's grabbing your attention every day in social media and every other place yep. is like the worldview yep. equivalent of pornography. Yeah, that's exactly right. Boy, that's a good word, Jerry. I appreciate that allegory. Now, in just the last 45 or so on-air minutes, we've talked with Jerry Boyer about economics and uh, financial planning, prophecy, climate change, and hypo- hypocrisies like pornography. I mean, that's a lot of stuff to cover, Jer. I got to tell you, in such a short amount of time, uh, let's close out just the last couple minutes. I want to hear about your reading and your watching. So uh, tell me what's going on. My reading. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you ask this, it's like I have to go into my head. I go upstairs because that's my book reading. Well, you know, okay. time, night day. What do I pick up? First, I pick up The Victory According to Mark right now. Mark Horn has a new edition of his commentary on Mark's gospel. Oh, interesting. According to Mark. It's very good. He's found some new insights about the structure of the gospel that I'm finding very persuasive um, and just really enjoying that, working my way through that. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the first thing I read. That's not the only thing I read. Mm -hmm. Also, I read a lot of like what people would call apparatus, you know, like reference works. There's a lot of like Bible dictionaries and commentaries and lexicons. That's most of my study reading, not books per se. Um, but that's boring. I'm not going to, you know, what what am I going to say? I'm not going to list all the dictionary, all the Greek dictionaries. So uh, here's something a little, a little, um, offbeat. Um, when, when I'm, when I'm tired of reading the Bible commentary, I, I tend to read a lot of youth lit. Yeah. And when I was a little kid, like a little, like eight years old, my pop pop gave me a set of books about Tom Swift, the boy inventor. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a little bit like Nancy Drew or yeah. Hardy boys invention. Right. And these books started the turn of the last century. He invented the motorcycle. Right. So they, they have to be new inventions. So these are these are things I read as I was a little kid. They're very optimistic about the future, and it's a family business. And like someone has re- someone who loved them as a kid is now writing them again with like new Tom Swift books, and that's what I'm reading for fun. That's very cool. I like that. Okay, thirty seconds left. Tell me what you're uh, watching. Oh, uh, last night we were watching the new Jim Gaffigan comedy special. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Um, Yep. So Jim Gaffigan's always fun. And uh, we've been watching Pink Panther on weekends with our grandson going through the series. And uh, Max McLean's one man show about the gospel of Mark is something. We've oh, seen. yeah. You know, I've never it seen that. Perfect. He is so good. He is so good. Oh, it it's incredible, isn't it? Yes. All right. That's Jerry Boyer. Jerry, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Gaff. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.